Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. Please join with us as we look into God's Word with Pastor Mike Bird. We're going to be in the uh, book of Romans here this morning to begin with. And uh, if you're just joining with us, uh, we're kind of taking a break from Ephesians right now. And uh, we are looking at the... Uh, truths of the gospel, just revisiting those. And last week we looked at the holiness of God and why the holiness of God is important for the gospel uh, because God just cannot simply forgive sin. His holiness demands righteousness and judgment. And uh, we saw that Jesus himself um, took on uh, our sin uh, so that way we could be justified uh, by God. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at a second truth of the gospel, and that truth is the sinfulness of man. And as we looked at God himself being holy, unapproachably holy, uh, he's separate from sin. And we look at today's uh, message here about the sinfulness of man as we look at this, we are, we are forced to take a very hard look at ourselves. And why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, it was because of sin. And when we talk about sin and how horrible sin really is, it really paints the right picture for us of why Jesus died. And so we're going to look at that, the fact that Jesus died for sinners, Jesus was punished for our sin. But what does that really mean, that Jesus died for us, that Jesus was punished for our sin? And I believe, again, without these fundamental truths about the holiness of God or the sinfulness of man, there really is no gospel. There really is no good news. Uh, again, there are a lot of churches out there that like to dumb down the message of the gospel. They like to make it palatable in order so that uh, people that may not know Christ uh, may not be offended by what the gospel really does say. And so really, this is what I want to take, uh, what you take away with you this morning. I'm a sinner and Jesus died for my sin. I'm a sinner and Jesus died for my sin. So let's look at a couple things here about the gospel and what it means about the sinfulness of man. Number one, where sin began. When we say that man is a sinner, what do we mean by that? Do we mean that they like a certain football team that we don't like? And we say, oh, you're nothing but a sinner, you know? No. Um, what do we mean when we say that man is a sinner? The scriptures here teach us of where the origin of sin came from here in Romans 5. We're going to read here how sin came into the world. Notice what it says here, Romans 5, verses 12 through 14. Paul writes, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one 
who was to come. Notice what he says here. He says, by one man and by his transgression. Who was that man? Well, we don't have to look far. We go all the way back to the book of Genesis. And we see that man's transgression began with Adam. And from the very beginning in the garden, when Adam disobeyed God, he brought death to all men because of his sin. Death is the punishment of sin. Remember when God told Adam, he said, the day that you eat of it, he says, you will die. And Adam disobeyed God, but he did not die physically that day. He lived another day and another day and another day until finally, yes, he did die. And so the reason why we have death is because of sin. Sin has brought death into this world. Genesis 2, 15 through 17 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. When somebody dies, they have been regarded as a sinner. However, one can be regarded as a sinner without ever having committed an actual personal sin, without ever willfully breaking a commandment. You say, how do you know that? Because babies die. And it's a terrible thing when a little baby dies. Many babies die without ever having made the individual choice to break a specific law, but yet they still die because of sin. It's a reality. But it's also true of Christ who died, though he never violated God's commandments. We read in 1 Peter 2.22, it says that Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Yet on the cross for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Our sin was put on Christ's account. And God regarded him as guilty. This guilt was not because he personally sinned, but because God imputed sin to him. And so knowing these things helps us to make sense of this passage here in Romans 5, 12. When Paul says that all have sinned, he's not speaking of the personal sins that we've committed on our own, though all of us certainly have personally and individually ways that we have broken and violated God's law and our records. Instead, he means that we bear the guilt of Adam by imputation. Look at verse number 18, if you're in Romans 5, it says this thing here. He says, the one trespass of Adam led to condemnation for all men. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, it says, in Adam all die. This is important to understand because look at verse 13 here, Romans 5. He says, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. 
People do die because they are guilty of personal disobedience, such as breaking God's laws and commandments. But even before sin was in the, before there was the law that was in the world, sin was there. And we are guilty before God. Why? Because of Adam's sin and penalty. It has been passed on to you. Where did you get it from? You got it from your father. Where did he get it from? He got it from his father. Where did he get it from? He got it from his father. And on and on and on and on and goes. There's a continual unbreaking law of sin that has been imputed to you. And you are guilty before God. So when he says that people die, even though sin is not counted when there is no law, that is the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, all those things. Sometimes people try to say, well, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe what the Bible says. I don't believe what, what these things say. So I'm not guilty before God. Wrong. Because people die because of sin. There's still a law at work. It's not that we are sinless if we do not know God's laws as are revealed to us in Scripture because Paul said that those without access to the Mosaic law break the law of their conscience. Listen to Romans 2, verses 12 through 16. It says, For all who have sinned without the law, those that don't even know what God's law says, Paul says, those who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Why is lying wrong? Why is murder wrong? Because you have it written on your heart that there is a fundamental universal law that God has placed in your heart. And when you break that, you stand before God as guilty. And so even those without the law, knowing what the law says in the Bible, they still know that they are guilty before God. But what about how sin is revealed to us in Scripture? What exactly is sin? We're not born innocent, but we are already deserving of death is what Romans 5 teaches us. Since the fall, the naturally conceived and born sons and daughters of Adam are legally guilty of sin and subject to its consequences. If this were not so, if we did not have any sin and were, were, were neutral before God, we would not need a savior. And then we would have to really answer the question, why did this man of Nazareth over 2,000 years ago willingly go to a cross and die? 
He claimed to be the Son of God. People said there's no fault we find in Him. People that stood around the crucifixion and there was thunderings and lightnings and earthquakes. And they said, truly, this really was the Son of God. People have died for this testimony that he resurrected from the dead. And so if we really did not have any sin, we'd have to answer the question, why did Jesus die? It must be answered. So really, what is sin? I want you to notice the second point. Man is thoroughly infected by sin in his whole being. In this passage here that we're going to read here, God is passing before Moses while Moses is up on Mount Sinai. And he's receiving the Ten Commandments. And as the Lord passes before Moses, listen to what God says about himself. He says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Here's God speaking. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving, now mark these, iniquity and transgression and sin. Iniquity, transgression, and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation? Did you hear what he said? He proclaims that he is merciful and gracious, that he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And he keeps steadfast love for thousands by forgiving three things. Iniquity, transgression, and sin. These three words are what describes the universal problem that man is a sinner. That he is thoroughly infected by sin in his whole being. It's more than just saying that man has sinned. Man has an inherited, a corrupt nature. He is thoroughly infected. Man may do good things or participate in some moral activities, but man at his core is sinful. These three words, iniquity, transgression, and sin, are really going to show us that each of these words have these meanings, each describing a different aspect of sin. In a person's life. Let's look at these three words. First of all, iniquity. He says that I will forgive iniquity. The word iniquity means crookedness or perverseness. This word relates more to the inner character and points to an intentional twisting of a given standard. It comes from the word meaning to twist or to make crooked. God uses this word iniquity 234 times in the Old Testament when describing how man is perverted and twisting his laws and his standards. In short, sin is a perversion of the truth of God's word. It is living in a crooked or perverse way. 
Jesus spoke of this perversion when he addressed man's problem of sin in Luke chapter number six. Jesus taught that it was out of the overflow of the heart that the man speaks. The issue is not simply the outward expression of sin, but it is the heart which desired the crooked, perverse behavior that desires to twist God's standards. But it's what proceeds from the heart. Every human being has a perverse desire to twist God's holy standard. We break God's standard because our iniquity drives us to twisting God's word. Our iniquities, your iniquities, our iniquities in our deceitful, wicked hearts fuel our sinful actions. Why do you desire sin? Because of iniquity that is in your heart. Secondly, transgression. He uses this word, he says, forgiving iniquity and transgression. This word transgress means to revolt or to rebel. Man is in rebellion against God. Man is in rebellion against God. This word is used 93 times in the Old Testament. And when we look at this word in God's word, we come to a conclusion that man is walking stridently away from God. He's angry. I don't want to hear what you have to say. In his pride and anger, he takes these long, striding steps in the opposite direction of God. When we look at this word in God's word, it's more than a willful rebellion against the given standard of his word. Rebellion takes on so many different forms, does it not? Here are just a few that God mentions in his word. Refusing to submit to authority, lying, cheating, deception, stretching the truth, deception or deliberate, walking after things that do not profit, lack of fear of the Lord, speaking against authorities, dishonesty and favoritism. And there are so many more that God mentions in his word where man sees the standard and he says, I don't care what it says. I'm going to do the opposite. That's willful rebellion. So what do we learn from all of this? That in reality, all sin is rebellion against God. Behind every sin is the attitude, I don't care what God says. If I want to do it, I will. And they stand in rebellion against God. And all it would take is just one, one, one for God to be just and to send you to hell for all of eternity. You say, that's not fair. That's not right. We are nothing but dirt. And he is God. He is holy. And he has every right to do what he says. Look at this third word. So he says iniquity. Then he says transgression. Then he says this third word, sin. 
This word sin means to miss the mark. This word is used the most in the Old Testament and New Testament, meaning to miss the mark. It can be best illustrated. Does anybody here uh, hunt, crossbow, bow hunting? A few of you? Okay, all right. So it's BS, best illustrated like this. If we had a target up here, and for those of you that uh, do crossbow hunting, if I were to say, okay, what is the goal for the target in order to win? Hit the bullseye, right? So you come up, you shoot, you get pretty close, but you miss it. Another person comes, shoots, he misses it, and on and on and on it goes. God's word talks about sin as missing the mark. What, is, what mark is it missing? It is missing God's mark. What is his mark? It is sinlessness. It's righteousness. Morally speaking, we are aiming for righteousness and actions which accurately model the God we are created to image. John said, sin is lawlessness. It is breaking the law and missing the standard which is set for us. A person can be sincere they can give their best and even be the best person on the face of the earth. Think of like Gandhi or Mother Teresa. We look at their lives and say, wow. But yet still in all of their good things that they've done and all of their wonderful actions they've done, they've still missed the mark. Why? Because they're not righteous. They miss it entirely. And you will miss God's mark of righteousness every single time because of sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is anything that violates the character of God. Sin is coming short of God's glory. What is God's glory? It is his character, that he is holy, that he is righteous. And we miss that mark every single time. Anything that does not measure up to God's moral character is sin because it falls short. It misses the mark of his character. Sin is no laughing matter. What's sad about humanity is that we fail to see the greatness of our sin. God calls them iniquity, transgression, and sin, while we call them mistakes, faults, oopsies, character flaws, and slip-ups. Sins of morality are now called diseases and behavioral issues to which there is no cure. Abortion is now a woman's right to choose. Adultery is being a victim of circumstances that you could not control. And LGBTQ is now I was born that way. Romans 7.13 teaches us and refers to sin as being exceeding sinful. Sin is disgusting to God. It's repugnant, sickening, and hateful. It is against everything that God is. Sin is more disgusting to God than swimming in a sewer is to a man. 
Listen to what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 36. He says, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. In Romans 3, verses 11 through 18, Paul sums up the sinfulness of mankind by quoting several Old Testament verses. Listen to what he says about the sinfulness of man. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have be together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So much for the greatness of man. Sounds more like the sinfulness, the depravity of man. Why is this important for the gospel? Because when we realize the exceeding sinfulness of our sin, the gospel becomes so much more than just an event that happens. We come face to face with our sin. We have to own up to it. We have to answer for it. We are guilty before God. And might I say that if you maybe have been in church all your life and yet you don't see your sin as being something serious, chances are you need to repent and believe the gospel. And you need to trust Christ for salvation. Because it's when we see how horrible and vile we really are, the gospel becomes a reality. It becomes so much sweeter. That leads me to my third point. The gospel is the only remedy for the sinner. Man's condition is so hopelessly corrupt that the only remedy for man's lost condition is the gospel. God doesn't only pay the penalty for our sin. He also takes away our sin. The work of Christ addresses sin, transgression, and iniquity to the fullest. This is great news. God doesn't just clean the outside of the cup, but he does substantial heart work. He finds us at our vilest and cleanses us. There is no sin, no iniquity so deep that Christ cannot forgive, heal, and transform. Amen. 
Listen to what Isaiah 53 says. The prophet reminds us clearly that the Savior was crushed for our iniquities. He says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Notice he said our iniquities. Why does he say our iniquities? Because we deny it. Not me. It's that other guy over there. He's the sinner. I'm not so bad. He says our iniquities. God actually has to say our iniquities, your iniquities and mine are found in every dark deed, every evil action of our hearts. They are recorded and God knows every single one of them. It's impossible to escape our guilt from a holy God and place our moral responsibilities on someone else. Notice what else the prophet says about Jesus. He says, for our iniquities and our transgressions, he was bruised and wounded. What does this mean that he was bruised and wounded? He was treated with disrespect. He was broken. He was stained and defiled. The holy God who became a man without sin, now in the hands of evil sinners, is humiliated and treated with disrespect. They plucked out his beard. He was accused and yet did not accuse or curse anyone. Notice Isaiah writes that Jesus was stricken and smitten of God. Why? Why would Jesus be punished by God? Was it for his own sin? No, Jesus had no sin. God was punishing Jesus for our transgressions and iniquities. Isaiah again writes that it was the punishment. Notice what he says, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. It says upon him was the chastisement, this punishment that was brought upon us peace. It was this remedy that brought salvation and satisfaction to a God of wrath. Jesus' death provided peace to the sinner so that he might be reconciled back to God. Notice it says that chastisement was upon him. Jesus was beaten. He was scourged in public by the Romans. They scourged him in public view. They whipped and punished him in full view of a mocking crowd. Look at him. Behold him. His bruised, bleeding, and swollen body is the answer to the peace of the world and to the peace of the human heart. He was chastised for our peace. God brought judgment upon Jesus. He's humiliated. He's disgraced as a common thief. 
Notice what the prophet writes in verse 10. He says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. The suffering of Jesus was not for himself. He committed no crime. The suffering of Jesus was corrective. He was willing to suffer in order that he might correct us and remedy our sinfulness. Look at him as they take him to the cross and nail him to it. God's judgment falls upon Jesus. Jesus bears the full guilt and wrath of our sin in his own body. Look at verse number five here again in Isaiah 53. Mark the phrase. Look at this. I love this. By his wounds. We are healed. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 through 24, Peter says this, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. This is the glory of the cross. This is what allows the repentant sinner to come into a peaceful relationship with Christ. Because it begins with his sufferings. And it ended in our healing. It began in his wounds. And ended in the removal and thorough cleansing of our sin. Now if you haven't already noticed in Isaiah 53, it only mentions iniquity and transgression. What about sin? What about missing the mark? What about this standard of righteousness that we fail to meet up to? This is where the gospel becomes so scandalous. We miss the mark. We cannot meet up to God's standard of righteousness, but Jesus can. That's why Jesus is the only remedy for sin. You won't find it in a church. You won't find it in a baptismal pool. You won't find it in a rosary bead. You only find it in Jesus. Look at verses 10 and 11 here. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servants, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Do you see it? Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Who's satisfied? God is satisfied with the death of Jesus. And in his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant Jesus, make many to be accounted righteous. What's the problem with man? We've missed the mark. We have no righteousness of our own. 
What does Jesus do? He makes us righteous before God because of what he did on the cross for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. After Jesus makes a full payment for our sin on the cross, he dies and what the scriptures teach is they carry his lifeless body off the cross and place it in a tomb. His lifeless body lay there and all had seemed to come to an end. But on the third day, the tomb was opened and the body of Jesus was gone. He had resurrected from the grave with power over death. He showed himself alive to his disciples for 40 days. One, on one account, he was seen by 500 people at one time. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Listen to what Paul writes about why the resurrection is so important for those who will believe. Those that have ears to hear, listen. Romans 4 tells us, of when we believe in Jesus alone for salvation from our sins and for our forgiveness, it says that when we believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead, it is faith in that that God grants us righteousness. He says this, righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So where are you? You've been a churchgoer all your life, but you never repented of your sin and trusted Jesus. This message is for you. If God is drawing you, God's call to you is to repent and believe the gospel. For those who know Christ as our Savior, this just makes the gospel so much more. To know that our iniquity, our sin, and our transgression has been thoroughly cleansed in Jesus Christ. Preach the gospel to yourself often. Remind yourself of this often. Because it is the power of God unto salvation to those who are being saved. Let's pray together. Our Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the message of the gospel. That your servant Jesus died for our iniquities. He died for our sin. He died for our transgressions. Lord, I pray that we would just be in awe of who you are. That if man left to himself explodes, he corrupts. Thank you so much for stepping into human history and providing us a remedy for our sin. 
Lord, would you please speak to hearts, draw those that need drawn to you. I pray that the sinfulness of their sin will become a reality, that they would own up to it and realize that they are under condemnation before a holy God. Holy Spirit, you do the work that only you know how to do. Convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. I pray for us who know Christ that we would continue to spread the good news, good news that Jesus died for our sin. That really is good news. And I pray that we would be adamant about sharing Christ with others. So grateful for your kindness and your goodness. We ask all this in the name of Christ. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.